podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Nice article in the Managing Madrid uh, blog. Uh, wonderful lads that do a great job there. And worth reading about that man there. Karim Benzema needs to rest and the numbers reveal why. Welcome to the Managing Madrid Podcast. This is your host, Kian Subani. We're recording this on Monday, the day after, the game after the season was lost. Joining me to break down the win over Valladolid is our own Matt Wiltsey. Matt, how are you doing? Kian, doing well. Yeah, bright and early on Monday morning, so happy Monday to you. Happy Monday to everybody. Hope hope it's going well, as well as it can be under this, in the in the circumstances of this season. How did you feel watching this game against Valladolid? Because I kind of just felt like I was almost watching a friendly. Yeah, it was that first 30 minutes at the very least was some of the strangest, especially goal after goal getting disallowed. It was like, oh my God, how many chances are we going to get? And then finally, Valladolid, on their fourth chance, on their fourth goal scored, it actually counts. And uh, yeah, it was just weird. I saw your tweet. He's saying this team is as dead inside as I am. And it was so true. It was just like, wow, there's just nothing, nothing here. Well, I was when I was watching it, I kind of like, you know, there's just games that you're just not invested in. And it's kind of rare for Real Madrid. And it usually happens when the season is over, which for us... Um, the spoiled fans we are in the past five years or so that happens very late in the season if at all for the Champions League so there's all, there's really a very rare moment where you're not invested in it emotionally um, I'm not saying you're there you just don't care at all but I'm just saying like you're just not like as into it as you usually would be and you're trying to analyze this from a tactical level because you have a match report to write your podcast to do but it wasn't it kind of kind of just felt like almost like a club world cup game or something i don't know um and then but it was also impossible not to be dragged into it for reasons you mentioned because you had an offside goal i don't even remember the chronological order but it was something like this it was one offside goal disallowed um which they cut to var there was no one in the room obviously the explanation is that they just cut to the wrong feed but it was still hilarious to see an empty yeah. var room and it was it was just and i thought about it like for like a good 20 minutes just staring at the game <laughs> i was just thinking about why they showed the empty var room or why there may not have been anyone in it and then you had a second disallowed goal i can't remember if the penalty miss was before or after the second disallowed goal um and then they finally score on their fourth fourth try and that was their fifth penalty miss of the season by the way because they've missed wow. all five of their penalty shots they haven't scored a single penalty kick this season which was a stat in its own um what was it in those first solari i think said in the post game presser that it was the first 25 minutes i would i think you could stretch it to like the first 30 to 35 minutes but what did you see in that opening frame that worried you about real madrid so i mean there was no absolutely no midfield i mean we had no midfield discipline we had no no i don't know where casemiro was but they just as soon as they got the ball they they countered and went one pass and they were through our whole team and it was just every every nearly every single play it was that time and time again one pass and they were through our team and i don't know 
there there was just no <laughs> there was no organization, no positional discipline. It was just it was tough to even see what tactics uh, Solari was rolling out there because at first we thought there were some murmurs that it was a four four two before the match, but when you saw it rolled out, it was still the four three three with Ceballos on the left hand side and Asensio on the right. But I just couldn't get over how easily they were able to slice through our midfield. Yeah, it's always worrying when you have an opposition team be able to make one pass and be through on the counter. Like we saw that quite a bit last season in the league. Um, <clears throat> we saw it a little bit against Bayern Munich too. Uh, in uh, before, uh, Bayern was the quarterfinals, I believe, last season. Um, but we survived that wave. Um, and I, you know, there was a lot to, that was kind of a lot of chat about the starting lineup before the game. And as always, I kind of just try to wait to see what, what it actually is on the pitch. And it kind of was unclear to me a little bit because Ceballos, I don't think it's his natural position to play that uh, the left side of the 4-3-3. Um, but I thought he actually was, he had a good performance in this game. I thought his passing was quite good. Um, but I, but what was confusing to me from a Real Madrid perspective was like, I don't think Regulon and Orgizola had as much help as they needed. I think Modric was a bit better on the right side defensively than Kroos was on the left side. But there was like a sequence um, in the first half during that entire like chaotic opening frame where um, Valladolid, they defended the flanks really well, by the way, I thought in that opening half hour also. So like they didn't give much space to... Odriozola and Regulon, who were very high up the pitch in this game throughout, and you can check that in their heat maps. Um, and when you have them that high up the pitch, you're going to at least need to have a plan for coverage defensively on the wings. And there was a sequence in the seventh minute where um, Valladolid just packed that left flank, and Modric, and Modric was caught on the right flank. They dispossessed Modric. They swarmed him. He had no space. Uh, and then Vitaly counter and they get behind Odriozola. And I thought that was kind of the main problem is that there wasn't really coverage for the, the two wingbacks. Yeah, and that's normally where we see Casemiro kind of do his cleanup job. But I thought personally thought it was a poor game from Casemiro. I didn't think he was – and it's just been a continued poor run of form as of late. But he was not at his best. He wasn't covering those spots. He was nowhere to be found. You saw him. I think on that first, was it the first actual allowed goal where uh, he needed to be tracking back with Odriozola? Um, it was him who was kind of lagging behind, jogging almost. So, yeah. Um, it, for me, I thought Casemiro could have done a much better job in covering for the fullbacks because we want we want our fullbacks high at the pitch. We want our fullbacks involved in the attack, and that's why that that anchorman role is so crucial to this team and. It's why Marcos Llorente was killing it when he was in the team is because he was able to cover for the fullbacks really, really well. Um, even the goal that they actually conceded from Anwar, I thought was also a bit... At that moment, I, I don't know where the team was mentally because it, it, it wasn't in a good place wherever it was because you, they had time to defend it and it wasn't really like a counterattack where they were really struggling to get numbers behind the ball because they had they gave a, a lot of space to the crosser. Regulon kind of just kind of just backed off the cross and Sabayos didn't close on the crosser either who was just behind. And then they Odrizol lets his man behind him in the far post, which is a tough ball to defend. 
um, you know, we often talk about down the loan track or without draft is like when that ball swings to the far side, it's actually even if even when you know it's coming, it's tough to defend it. Um, because the attacker seems to have all the momentum of just kind of running in behind. So they get behind Odriozola. And then, but I think the worst part of it was that Nacho and Varane, had, there were two of them with Anwar in the middle, and neither of them were here nor there. And so Nacho was too far, and Varane was too far, and Anwar was open in the middle. And I think like those are the things, like that moment right there, the team didn't seem like in a good mental state. Um where did the where did the where was the recovery point for you? Uh, I think as soon as we scored that equalizer, I think that's when things started to get better. But it really, really in the second half was when we turned it on. It was like a, I mean, <clears throat> for many players, it was a whole whole different performance. I thought Ojirazola really turned it on in the second half after having. A pretty poor first half giving away the penalty kick and then um struggling to like you mentioned cover the weak side along with Veron and uh Nacho so I thought how <clears throat> I thought he stepped his game up in the second half and I don't know how in the world he got to that um ball to earn the penalty kick he had no right um catching up to that and his speed is just breathtaking I mean sometimes I, you just blow your cheek out <laughs> you can't believe it yeah. um so He's got, I really think there's there's parts of his games that are still kind of frantic and he just needs to add a little bit of composure. But he he does have all the tools and he can really develop into a top-class fullback. But right now, he's he's I, you can tell he's a little jittery and he's a little nervous, but he does have all the tools. So I thought it was an encouraging second half and um, he definitely made up for his initial mistake. And then obviously Benzema um, turned it on in the second half. Great composure on the penalty kick, and then a snap header off the corner kick. So he he really turned it on. And then I just thought our midfield regained control. I thought Kroos and Modric played pretty well. Yeah, Kroos and Modric both had a good second half. Um, I like I mentioned. I think Ceballos was pretty good throughout. Odriozola's pace is an interesting one to bring up because it's like you know how quick he is, but even when you watch it, it still blows you away. I think there was another. I. Th- I want to say in the Copa del Rey during the run in the Copa del Rey, maybe against Girona, maybe do we play against Girona or Leganes or one of those teams in the Copa del Rey? Um, yeah, Girona. Yeah, and there was like that first leg at home. I'm trying to think. It might. I think it might have been the Leganes game. Did we play against Leganes in the Copa? Uh, yeah, we did. Yeah, yeah. okay. In the first leg of that game against Leganes, he was. They were using Odriozola so much to get to the far post, so like these really incisive through balls, like diagonal passes to him, and it didn't look like a normal player would get to those. But he would get to them, and it was just like crazy how much chaos he can bring just with his pace alone, because he stretches his legs and he just gets it across. And if you're late, you're you're either fouling him um, or you're getting burned. So it's like it's really fun to see. And like I guess for all the things that this season is a disaster and. Nacho very vividly saying what we all knew is that this has been very difficult and it's kind of the relationship isn't great internally. You know, we're not going to keep fighting. And, and how do you get motivated for games like this and beyond? It's very difficult to do. Um, from a fan's perspective, I guess the things that you get excited about and you try to talk yourself into just staying invested is, 
you know, these there's a lot of really talented kids in the team. So can they be can you watch these kids, you know, kind of just develop over the next few games and, and see Odrizola get more playing time? And how worth it is it to, to see, you know, um, other players who we already know what they're capable of just, just run the course of the season and take those minutes away? I'd be interested to see players like Ceballos and, uh, and Odrizola and others just kind of grow into the team and, and see what they can show us for the, for the remaining few months. Yeah, no, I think that's a great point. And that's like the one thing that's probably keeping most fans around and just keeping keeping hold of something is how these young players develop, how they perform in this final part of the season where we really don't have anything to play for. And I think we sh- we can probably pick out the four, Odriozola, Reguilon, uh, Ceballos, and Asensio. And those are the four from the starting 11, at least, that – probably piqued most fans interest and um kian i'm curious what did you think of uh marco Asensio's performance in this match um well i was trying to at first i spent a lot of time just deciphering where he was on the field turns out he was just basically on the right like you said earlier in the podcast um a little bit quiet maybe overall like i he wasn't as involved as um as ceballos but he was. I thought he was good. His, his passing was okay. I don't, he did he. He didn't seem to have the same influence. Like I thought he was much better on the two legs against Ajax. Um, to me, like just it seemed like mostly things were just going through Ceballos on the left. Um, so I guess I, I guess of like the of like the main cogs in the team in terms of just like offensive creation, Modric, Kroos. Ceballos, Asensio, Benzema. I'd say he was the most quiet out of that bunch. Kroos had four key passes. Um, Modric was actually really good, especially in the second half, and obviously that that goal was great. Um, Benzema was very involved in this game. Ceballos was very involved. I think Asensio was probably the more quiet of the bunch. Yeah, I agree. I think um, I don't think the performance from Asensio was what we as fans would hope for or expect from him. I think he's at a point now, 23 years old, that we hopefully we want to see a little bit more consistency and a little bit more um, just maybe end product to his game because I just thought he was really, really quiet today and didn't. Yeah, there were moments. There were moments of the quintessential Marco Asensio run where he burst through the midfield and um, then passed the back line and. Uh, that one pass to Fede Valverde where he took the heavy touch, but aside from that, it was just too fleeting. I want to see, I want to see more from him. I want to see him really kind of put his stamp on the match. And um, so, from that, from that perspective, I, I hope, I, I had hoped to see more from him. But um, no, like you said, the rest, the rest of that attacking kind of quartet or or five or so. I had a pretty good game, at least in the second half, and I thought I thought Tony Cruz was really good. So I was surprised to see him come off. Um, like you said, had four key passes. Um, Modric obviously turned it on. That was a beautiful breakdown of uh, Fernandez one v one, a little scissor, and then puts the puts the finish away. Um, Benzema, great, great again, and Ceballos. I thought I thought maybe he was probably. A little bit better than Asensio, but he was. I thought he was quiet as well. But his passing, like you said, was tidy and pretty. Um, he was pretty composed in possession, so that was good to see. Underrated attacking threat 
has also been regular, and I think because we often spend so much talk- time talking about how much he's been better than Marcelo defensively that we almost tend to maybe not realize or not credit him enough for just being actually really good offensively. Like he's been, he was good offensively against Barca. Um, he was good offensively against Atletico. In this game, he had some good moments offensively. He spent a lot of time high up the pitch. He had that, like, I don't know how you explain it, a dink chip pass through ball to us. To, oh, yeah, that was gorgeous. It was incredible. Um, and that also just reminded me of Asensio had a really beautiful pass to Ceballos, who um, it looked offside, but when you watch oh, the replay, yeah, yeah. it wasn't offside. And, and Asensio had this really beautiful pass to Ceballos, and Ceballos wide open and 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 shoots it at Massey but it was actually a high degree of difficulty chance I think it shot up pretty high in XG but um he hit it one time on the volley and uh Massey makes a great save that was a nice sequence as well I I haven't talked to you though about I guess since the last loan tracker which was the day the morning of the Ajax game I think so I didn't speak to you after Ajax um and I, I didn't really talk to you about the aftermath and the season and all that. Um, where, what, what was your feeling during the Ajax game, first of all? So, well, hmm. <laughs> during the Ajax game, it was just, we talked about it on the Lone Tracker pod. It was kind of like, once again, that resignation. It wasn't, it wasn't anger. It was just kind of, well, this is this is where we're at. This is, it was almost expected just because of the way we've been playing all season. And Ajax played the same way they did in the first leg, but they took their chances this time around. Um, and so, there's a part of me that after ma- after the match, is kind of internalizing everything and thinking to myself. And already, it's only been what well, it's less than a week, and it's felt like it's been already a couple months since that match but um it almost feels like i'd rather it kind of come to this so that the board and the club they realize kind of where this team is at and that there's no false hope with making a big champions league of course i would love a big champions league run but now it's just we've got plenty of time to kind of plan out the season i think they need we can't i don't think the club can wait i mean they got to start making decisions now they need to start planning for 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 the next season now i mean we've seen i brought it up before on the loan trucker pod we've seen what byron have done this year they 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 kept their faith with kovach and Mm. even though there was tons of uproar in the dressing room terrible results in the beginning of the season they kept their faith and then they started rebuilding the squad and just um quietly doing some business in the offseason. They've got um, Nicolas Pepe pretty much signed, Fiette Arp, Lucas Hernandez, Benjamin Pavard. Obviously not all these are official, but they're pretty much done deals from the reports you read. And they've quietly gone about kind of fine-tuning the squad, keeping faith in Kovac, and now they're they're playing well. And they've got some younger guys like Serge Narby in the squad. And um, that's... I think that's kind of the model Madrid should look after. And um, so, yeah, but the first thing, the first thing first is you got to get a coach. And I'm part of the uh, 
part of the crew that is vehemently against Jose Mourinho. Um, I really, really do not want Jose Mourinho taking over this club again. But aside from all of that, I think you need to make the coaching decision as soon as possible so that he can get the players he wants for his system in. And I think that's so, so important. That's for sure. I think you need you need to establish your identity and your guy, and you need to, to work with him on signings. I don't think so the Bayern example is a good one because, and there are plenty of examples throughout recent modern football history that the turnaround after when an era finishes uh, and the cycle comes to an end, the turnaround can be a lot quicker than you think if you do it right. And it doesn't always necessarily need to be a blow-up situation where you blow up the team, you gut it, uh, you could do a complete overhaul. I think if if there was another team going through this, they'd probably want to sign a bunch of Real Madrid players. I think Real Madrid already have a bunch of great players in the squad, a lot of them that aren't being used. Some of them are being used. Some of them are just young and are going to get better. Um, and also, there are just a lot of great players around Europe, good to great players who can help this squad. I think we all know Solari's gone. Um, the, we have no idea like exactly when that'll happen. We know like probably by the end of the season is the latest he'll go. Whether it's today or tomorrow, next week, I'm not sure. And Butragueño kind of what answered this after the game where he like he can't say Solari is going to leave now or later. He just didn't he didn't really give an answer the other way, which is like it's hard to answer that question and and uh, it's hard to word it anything differently than what he did. But essentially, he was asked, "Is Solari going to be here next weekend?" And he said, "Let's just talk about football." So it's a guessing game for all of us right now. But my question to you, Matt, is. Knowing that Solari is gone, when do you wait to do it? Because on one hand, why delay the inevitable? Uh, and also, the relationship obviously isn't great right now within the locker room. So, do you just let him go now or do you wait? So, yeah, this is the, this is the tough question because you can look at it almost three ways you can look at hey just let Sorali finish out the season there's really no point um we'll we'll just let this crew this season finish out and that's that then there's the other view of all right get that new coach in if it's going to be a Jose Mourinho or a Zidane as has been reported um both those guys are out of a job right now see if you can convince them to come in now steady the ship, see who they want, and just get a new energy and new life into the locker room and then start already have plans in place for the next season. Or three, and I've seen this um, idea been floated, floated around, is you replace Saxelari now, bring in some another interim manager just to see out the season, just to give new life to the team, new energy, just get rid of some of these bad bad vibes that are just going around. Uh, maybe you get to see guys like Isco, Marcelo, um, Bale, other guys just have a chance to play and get their market value back up. And um, so that's that's the third I've seen. So personally, I'm, I'm torn. I don't know what the right answer is. I'm torn. Um, I'm not completely – I'm just not one for – constantly sacking managers so i just don't love that but at the same time i'm not opposed to just getting a new energy in there for the final two months of the season just because it it is so so dark right now 
and you that's what you could tell in the first 30 minutes of the game that's that's the energy that was there um and so that that's a possibility um but i think madrid's best bet is probably just to see out the season with solari my only concern there is i i I get that Isco was being disciplined um, for leaving the match early, but I just I, I'd hate to see the rest of the season go and him just not play at all. Well, that <clears throat> if the question is, to, let's say if the reasoning behind sacking Solari now is because you want to see Marcelo and Isco play, Bale will probably play. He'll get his minutes. He's just injured right now. Um, if the argument is that, I'm just not sure if you have a guarantee of that with a new coach. That's true. Because a new coach will probably like Regulon. A new coach may or may not use Solari. And keep in mind that the disciplinary action with East Coast was not from Solari in this particular case. It was from the club um, because he wasn't um, he wasn't on the on the team bus or didn't or didn't travel with the team or didn't attend something. Um. So I don't think there's a guarantee of that if Solari leaves. There may be, but I, I just don't know if there's a guarantee. Um, if you're getting your permanent guy now, I think that's a disaster because if it's someone like Mourinho, then you know, forget about it. <laughs> if it's also just a matter of promoting the Castilla coach, mm, then are you, is that going to move the needle enough? Like, Is that going to really just boost everything all of a sudden? I think you're. I think honestly, when people are sweating about the top four, I'm not too worried about the top four. I don't think you're going to lose the top four place. Uh, I didn't check before uh, after the weekend standings, but um, well, let me just check now. But I don't think they're in any jeopardy of losing the top four spot. I believe they were eight points ahead of Alaves. They're ten points ahead of Alaves for for fifth in fifth place right now. I don't think that's an issue. So my yeah, no, yeah go ahead. I agree. No, I, I agree. I think. The only, I think the only thing you could really point to is just if you want to – the only way I could see it from the club's perspective is if they're trying to prove a point and saying, hey, these results aren't good enough. These results aren't what Real Madrid stands for. We have to take action uh, rather than just let this season – and bring in a new energy. Like That's the only real rationale I could see. And I'm not saying I'm advocating for it. But that's the only real rationale I could see, and obviously, who knows what would happen with Marcelo and Isco. But well, here's a good goal to have: just get second place. You're only five points back of Atleti. It's not an, it's not inconceivable you can make up that gap. Why not just aim for second place? Like to me, like at this point, like the season's lost. If you get second place, at least there will be some kind of success. Um. And with the new uh, with the new Spanish Super Cup format, I think that's going into place this year. Second place would be a part of, and hey, even if Barca win the Copa del Rey, then second place definitely will be a part of it. But uh, yeah, it's four teams now, and so Madrid. Well, I think the club really wants Madrid to make that happen because obviously there's extra revenue there, uh, especially playing if it's going to be in a foreign country. Well, it's uh, it's the top two in the league, and then the two finalists of the Copa, right? Um, that's the, how they do the mini tournament. Yep, I believe so. So, so we still have a chance, I guess, with third. If well, I, if if yeah, because Barca's in both, and I think we'd yeah. qualify anyway. Um, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, look, it's uh, it's an interesting debate to be had. I don't know what the answer is either, like you, <laughs> and uh, and uh, I, I, we, we will see. But I just, I'm just kind of, I think it. I think you have to make sure you have a a good plan, to, I guess, follow up this Solari, um, reign because. This- because if you yeah. do it now without like without a plan, the solution is just to bring in the Castilla coach or Mourinho. I'd rather just wait. And the thing, the thing that's uh, a little concerning to me as well, and I, I wrote about this in my uh, recent Mourinho article, is Zidane and Mourinho are polar opposites. So that's a little concerning to me because it it tells me that the club doesn't still doesn't yeah. really have a vision or a yeah. project or good point a philosophy that they're going after because when you do then you have multiple candidates who are cert- are kind of the same type the same style the same kind of mentality and philosophy and we're not Mourinho and Zidane couldn't be any more different and so that's a little alarming that's a great point I'm glad you brought that up because to me you're really limiting your vision and you're narrowing what your options are to two people who you've already worked with Whereas, like you know, if there there are better options, I and uh, and of the two, obviously Zidane would be more welcome than Mourinho. But I just think like you wait it out, because even if you get someone this summer and they have a whole summer, this is not a World Cup year. It's not a Euro year. You actually still have like a good chunk of time to prepare and implement your your philosophy and what whatnot. And uh, and they'd still, if you get them early enough, they'd have more time than Lopetegui even did. So. Um, that's what I'd rather do. So, Matt Wiltsey, I think we're running out of time here. Um, you and I will be back tomorrow for our Lone Tracker segment. we got a lot to talk about, including a Raul de Tomas Colasso against Barcelona, uh, among other things. So, anything to plug before we, we let you go? Uh, yeah, just, guys, become a patron. Check us out tomorrow on the Lone Tracker pod. And then uh, I also recently wrote, an article that I briefly mentioned before called Were the Kids All Right Under Jose Mourinho? And I look at um, how U21 players were um, kind of treated and how they how much they played and what type of impact they had under Jose Mourinho during his three seasons at Real Madrid. Um, just to kind of give, again, we've had this philosophy of signing the most talented young players in the world. Does Jose Mourinho align with that new philosophy? If if he were ever to be hired again. So uh, check that out if you haven't already. Fantastic. Check it out, managingmajor.com. Check out Matt's article and articles. Uh, check out our loan tracker tomorrow. Ed Alvarez put out a good piece on Gareth Bale last night. Go check that out if you haven't already. And uh, more content coming your way. We'll, we promise we won't leave you hanging uh, during this tough season. All right. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in and Hala Madrid. Hala Madrid. Podcast Network.